of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, as always, Matt Spectro, and this is the podcast that is comic book related animation. Thank you for joining us. I am a lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, lifetime superhero fan. Welcome to episode 29. I'm going to briefly explain the rules and then we're going to get right into it. Number one. We're talking comic book animation like I just said. Number two, it's me and a guest always. Just like the old team-up books, Marvel Team-Up DC Comics presents, it's always Matt Spectrum myself teaming up with a special guest as we talk comic book animation. And the third and most important rule, we got to have fun. Like I said, this is episode 29. And today's episode, we're going to right a wrong that has been done on the multiverse, but we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But before we do that, I'm going to bring out my guest. He was on a previous episode, but not with me. He is one half of the bouncers, and he's the former co-host of the wrestling podcast about nothing. Welcome to the multiverse one, the kingpin, Brian Malonis. What's up, buddy? Long time uh, no talk here. I know. It's been a while. And in the last time you were on my show, I had a guest host. Yes, <laughs> yes, you did. And it was an interesting episode. <laughs> and uh maybe right or wrong is a dramatic way of saying it but we're gonna we're gonna correct something uh so is it, time... is, it po- is it possible that i was in a different branch of the multiverse when i was on this podcast in in, in that branch jamie jamikowski hosts uh, this podcast instead of yourself yeah you might have been on like uh earth 515 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i yeah i think i think so so last time you were on you talked He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You and I talked after that. Since you didn't actually review an episode, we'd bring you back. And we would actually review an episode of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Yes, I, I'm just glad you didn't make me watch uh, like the new adventures of He-Man or something. You know. <laughs> well, on that note, every time you come back, we are going to review a different version of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Oh boy. Oh boy. Some of that might get colorful, man. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a, uh, the new adventures of He-Man, I'm going to let the expletives fly. <laughs> <laughs> there was He-Man, Masters of the Universe. What was the one? It was the new adventures of He-Man? Yeah, the new adventures of, of He-Man. Uh, and then the, the Masters of the Universe, like 2002 series. Um, and then Revelation, and then there's the new, just the same He-Man of the Masters of the Universe is also the new, there's a new Netflix series on that. So a number of incarnations of uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe over uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, I think the original probably still remains the, the most beloved and most popular. So that means we're at least going to bring you back four more times. All right. I mean, you know, Tarzan. I know. I don't know if you heard, but I recently lost my pro wrestling job, so uh, uh, I'm going to need the income. So thank you for bringing me back, Swap. <laughs> yeah, we uh, <laughs> we pay the big bucks here to get <laughs> the, the multitude <laughs> of listeners. We have. Yeah, you, I mean, you'll PayPal me later, right? <laughs> exactly. So, as anyone knows, we're going back to the uh, late '70s, early '80s. You guys, when you were on with Jamie, you guys gotten you discussed kind of the whole He-Man phenomenon, not just the cartoon. So we're going to cover a little bit of that leading into the cartoon, but we're mostly going to be focusing on the original filmation cartoon. So to give you guys a backstory, Mattel, the uh, comic company, the toy company, (laughs) had massive success with both Hot Wheels and Barbies, but they could never quite tap into the male action figure line. So after multiple tries at licensing, because obviously Star Wars had been so successful and they license other properties and fail, they decided they were just going to create their own line of uh, boys action figures, which got to say is a pretty bold move, especially back then. Because back then, almost all the toys were either properties or they were just generic adventure people 
or army men and things like that. Now, some of the players were uh, Tom Kalinske worked in Mattel, Derek Gable, Mark Ellis, Paul Cleveland, Roger Sweet, all people working at Mattel that they had to design a toy line. Now, it's weird when I looked into this research, um, some of the characters are credited to people who worked at Mattel, but some of the character creations are credited to the people that worked on the mini comics that came with the action figures. Yeah, the, I, I, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Tarzan. There's a great documentary that kind of covers a lot of this stuff, and they you meet some of the artists and some of the craziness. So it was, uh, I forget the name of it now, but it's on, it's on Netflix, and um, I think it's called, it might be The Power of Grayskull, and they really get into, like, you want to talk about getting into the nitty-gritty, like me and Jamie did not. Uh, did not do a great job of, of the, they do a really great job of getting into the, getting into the nitty gritty of the toy line and then the creation of the cartoon and what led to that. So it's, uh, I, I mean, if you're a master's fan, you know, even if you're not a master's fan, it's, it's just, if you're a fan of pop culture and things like that, it's a fascinating kind of look into the hysteria that, that was he man. So, um, they had finally settled on an idea of a mix of, Science fiction, barbarian, magic, all that. Roger Sweet had designed prototypes, and he came up supposedly with the name He-Man. And then one Mark Taylor had done a bunch of designs, supposedly designing Skeletor. And uh, Beast Man says he sculpted the original Castle Grayskull. They had the toy line all ready to go. And what had happened originally was uh, when they were pitching it to Child World, which... I don't know if you're old enough to remember the chain child world, but it was kind of like a, a Toys R Us light that was around in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I do. I do remember child world. There was one somewhere in New Hampshire. I want, I want to say it was like Nashua, New Hampshire or something had a child world. So at that point, child world had wondered how these toys were going to sell, being that nobody would know who they are. And Mark Ellis said that they were going to have a comic book that came free with the toy. That was on the spot. <laughs> yep. he, on the fly. So he came up with that with an idea and they liked it. And we're going to get into those little mini comics in a minute because obviously this is animation based on comic books. So uh, they got those ready to go. And this is the part where we're going to lend into the, uh, the cartoon. They had their big meeting with Toys R Us, which was the biggest toy chain in the world. Well, I shouldn't say toy chain. Toy, you know, toy store chain. They said that Kids don't read. They're not going to read these comics. And then urban legend has it. Mark Ellis once again said, oh, I forgot to mention the uh, two one-hour animated specials we're going to do. <laughs> now, first, before we get into the cartoon itself, we're going to go to these mini comics. Do you remember the mini comics? I, I remember them. I don't know if I never remember the material in them, but I remember them. And uh, I'm sure at you know, the age that I was, you know, like, it, you know, it's funny. There's kind of like this. It's weird. Like, you know, they, they'd only ran for like two seasons in the early 80s, but it was in syndication for so long that it encompassed like a couple of little generations. And uh, but I'm sure when I got the toys, like at the age I was, you know, you're talking, you know, I'm not even double digits when I'm getting He-Man toys. Like I, those comics were probably destroyed and lost within within minutes of me opening up a, a toy. Now, if anybody doesn't know, they were comic books, but they were shaped more like little they were like the size of little paperback books more. They weren't the traditional comic size. The original run of figures had four mini comics that came with them. And uh, they were written by a, uh, a Donald F. Glute, or Glut, I'm not sure how you say it, who was a comic book writer who had written for uh, such comics as uh, Captain America. He had written some. He had written uh, Call the Conqueror. He had written for Marvel some What If. And for Gold Key Comics... He had written The Occult Adventures of Dr. Spectre. The artist on those was an Alfredo Alcia, I believe his name. He had worked for DC on uh, Batman. He had done some work on Air Axon of Thunder and Conan the Barbarian. They're actually credited, it's bizarre, creating some of these characters. In fact, they're, if you look up Skeletor, a lot of times they credit these guys for creating them, even though the documentary, and I always thought that uh, Mark Taylor had come up with the design and the idea for Skeletor. Yeah, I actually didn't know there was, yeah, I didn't know there was controversy about that. So that's, that's an interesting tidbit. And I, you know, I think you're probably talking in a day and age too, where how many people are even thinking about some of that stuff, the way we think about it now, or when somebody creates something like you're, you know, you're probably talking situations, guys just doing their work, working for companies and not necessarily thinking about 
royalties and licenses and whatnot. Well, I don't know if I'd call it a controversy as much. It's just I had no idea until I started doing research for the episode where I'd go to different things and they would credit different people for creating some of these characters. Uh, the only one I found consistent was Roger Sweet always gets credited for creating He-Man himself. Then uh, DC actually produced the second wave of those comics with the series two. And uh, they were written by a Gary Cohn who had written for DC Comics. He wrote Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld, and he wrote Blue Devil. And uh, Mark Texeria was an artist who had worked on Black Panther, Ghost Rider, and uh, a lot of other stuff. And actually, uh, from then point on, by series three of the figures, the cartoon was out. And all the, the original comics didn't really follow the story of Filmation. But going forward, all the comics then followed the cartoon. Larry Houston, who uh, worked on the X-Men, the animated series, had also worked on some of those comics as well. Then we get into the movie itself. Filmation took over. A very famous animation studio had done a lot of cartoons in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s, including Fat Albert, some of the DC cartoons. They did the real Ghostbusters before the movie. Now, <laughs> Lou Scheimer, who had run Filmation, had done a cartoon called Black Star, and supposedly they were doing some animation for the He-Man toy line his daughter claims that Lou Scheimer went to Mattel and wanted to do a cartoon based on He-Man I'm not sure if that's correct or not but apparently um, they invested a million dollars into developing the He-Man cartoon which a lot of the money came from uh, Westinghouse which owned Filmation at the time now I don't know if you know this but this is the first ever cartoon that was based on a toy line I did know that piece, and it's interesting because they obviously they must have felt pretty damn strongly that they were that they were onto something if they're investing this much time and energy into into this toy line to do all this extra work to push it. It's crazy because then from then on that was like the norm. Like every cartoon after that was based on a toy line. An interesting tidbit is because uh, parents groups were really concerned about selling to children, they were not allowed to run commercials for the figures during airing of the actual cartoon <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it i know there's there's lots of red tape and navigating legalities with the fcc and whatnot that the cartoon had to like get around they were also very concerned about violence but one thing they allowed which at the time was not allowed he-man was actually allowed to throw a punch yeah, I know. It's funny, like, you know, so it's funny in, the, in some of the later versions of these cartoons, you actually get to see these characters do battle where the the action is, is really cheesy on some of these. But yeah, you can throw a punch, a lot of throwing of the actual, you know, his opponents, whether, you know, Beastman or Skeletor, a lot of throwing of, the, of these guys, not, not so much bludgeoning them or anything. Now, there was a, uh, a Michael Halperin, I believe his name, who was kind of the guy who had developed a lot of the early backstory, he had worked for Mattel, and he was kind of the go-between between Filmation and uh, Mattel on developing the thing. Now, one thing, Lou Scheimer actually had the rights to anything that happens on the cartoon, so Mattel couldn't actually force him to incorporate a new toy into the cartoon if he didn't want to do it. Yeah, and there is, you know, there is some toys that they were just toys only uh, that never made it into the cartoon. So I think that's an interesting kind of, to know that fact, that makes sense now why, why some toys were strictly just toys and they never actually appeared in the show. I mean, they could suggest them and show them designs, but they couldn't actually order him to do that. Now, uh, Mike Halperin also claims that he came up with Snake Mountain and Eternia itself, the name of the planet that He-Man is on. Another interesting fact I found, but they claim... Cringer, who would become Battle Cat, was supposed to also say he had the power when, when they did the transformation. <laughs> I mean, that would be a bizarre. That would be a very bizarre, bizarre twist. Um, some of the sites I went to, fan sites, went as far as to claim you can see Battle Cat mouthing. I have the power if you pay attention to the cartoon. That might be an, an urban legend. <laughs> yeah, I'll, have to, I'll have to take a look at that. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, I feel like it's something that could be easily proved. I mean, it's not hard to find the intro to uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, uh, you know, in about 30 seconds. Yeah, but it's not like uh, reading lips of a person. It's, a, it's animation. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably, if you want to see it, you're going to convince yourself probably that, that it's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are going to actually go to the very first episode 
of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which, by the way, I don't know, it was also originally going to be called The Lords of Power. Yes. I don't think works as well as He-Man. It's kind of a long title, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> it, it is, but, you know, Lord Lords of Power. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. The toys were just Masters of the Universe, right? Yeah, the, the Masters of the Universe logo, was. it didn't have uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He-Man was just a, like, you've got a He-Man figure. But uh, the show was, yeah, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So we're going back to the very first episode, like I said, the Diamond Ray of Disappearance, original air date, September 5th, 1983. Tarzan, I wasn't even two yet in this era. <laughs> it's weird because I feel like I remember being a lot older when I first saw this cartoon and maybe I saw it in syndication later. Yeah, I think that's probably more where, where more people are going to remember. You know, I think there's, yeah, you got the original ones. You know, the original airings, but He-Man was popular all throughout the 80s, but they only made two seasons. And I want to say it was, you know, between like 83 and 85. I don't think they made a, a new episode after like 1985, but they ran in syndication and there was so many of them um, that it ran in syndication for a number of years. Because again, when these when these are first airing, you know, I'm, I'm not even two years old, but you know, now when you start to get when I'm, you know, four five, six, seven, eight, nine, like all through that. And, and through the, you know, uh, the mid to late 80s, He-Man was still very, very popular. So uh, this particular episode, he's written by Lou Zucor. No, he directed it. I apologize. Robbie London was the writer of this episode. Now, here's another uh, fun fact here. Um, I looked at the voice acting and I swear like four people did every single voice on, <laughs> on this cartoon. Because uh, John Irwin is the voice of He-Man. He's a famous actor. Well, a famous voice actor. Uh, but he also is the voice of Beast Man as well and Man at Arms. So uh, he had done a lot of, uh, I mean, that's right there. Off the, and I'm sure he did other voices, but there's three voices right there off the top of my head. A lot of talking to himself, especially in this episode. <laughs> and they claim, with the exception of Lou Scheimer, who did voices, that the whole cast, they did every episode like a table read. So that means these guys are like literally having conversations with themselves. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it's not, they weren't just like in a uh, studio by themselves, like reading lines. Man in Arms, what's up with the mustache? I always wondered about that because the figure didn't have a mustache. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, he looks better with a mustache. Like, I think the figure looks a little, a little strange without, without the mustache, but maybe it's supposed to represent a younger Duncan. Now, Alan Oppenheimer, who's also a very famous voice actor, uh, other than working on this cartoon, he had also done a voice on the Smurfs and the Flash Gordon cartoon, but he's the voice of Skeletor. He's also the voice of Merman. Uh, he's uh, the voice of uh, Cringer, I believe. He also uh, came back for the uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, and he was the voice of Moss Man on that version as well. Yes, he was. Lou Scheimer, like I said, he was the voice of uh, Trapjaw and Triclops, and he is the voice of Orko who is probably the most famous character who was created specifically for the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, he's one that was the quite the quite the opposite for old Orko, you know. Most of these characters the main players were were toys, the, the designs that were translated into animation as opposed to the opposite way around with Orko. And he did get his own figure down the road, so uh I believe the uh, the sorceress was created specifically for the cartoon as well. That was a hard find, Tar. I know we're not going in, no we're not going down that rabbit hole, but the sorceress took some, that took some time as a kid. I remember, you know, having a hard time getting the sorceress. I remember like some of the characters, like I swear I'd see the action figure when they came out and then they would like vanish from the shelves forever and I would never see them again. <laughs> Just loaded up with those, uh, with He-Man and Skeletor on the shelves though, I'm sure. And I remember, I don't know why this sticks out of my mind, but Buzz Off, I swear that figure was on the shelf for like 15 years. <laughs> Buzz Off, I don't think one of the, not one of the more popular He-Man characters. And Evil Lynn, Tila, and the Sorceress were all voiced by the same person, Alinda Gary. <laughs> I mean, why diversify the female voice cast? Just get uh, one woman to voice them all. <laughs> so we're talking literally like four people doing the entire voice acting of this cartoon. Keeps the budget down though, right? I, I would, yeah, I would imagine it would. 
hey, while you're here, maybe it's like them. Hey, while you're here, want to read these ones too? Plus, uh, voice acting was like a. It seemed like there was a smaller circle back in the day of people that if you did one cartoon, you worked on all of them. I mean, I don't know about you. It was a little bit of a side, but as a kid growing up, it was always I'd always get excited when I noticed things like that. Or like, oh, that's that's I'm pretty sure that's the same person who does this or that. Yeah, I remember watching. I think it was Super Friends, and I got so excited because one of the other guys had Batman's voice, and I'm like, hey, wait, that's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you, you unlock something. You just you know you just crack the case. <laughs> I think it's the old. You know, when you're younger, you, you, uh, not, maybe not much girls, but I think guys, they don't want anyone getting one over on them. So like, <laughs> yeah. I think we feel proud of ourselves. Like that we weren't fooled, you know? Yeah. Wasn't fooled for a second. <laughs> Would you say anything, uh, cause we're about to go into it. We're going to about to watch it, but was there anything particular about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that appealed to you? You know, I, I don't know. It, it was just, I think as a, and I know, I know this is, you know, in 2021, a little bit of old fashioned sort of thinking, but when I think when you're a five or six year old kid and you just, you see this dude and he's all ripped up. And I think when I think of him, I think of the eighties, I think of the He-Man and like, then you think of like, I also love pro wrestling. There's Hulk Hogan. Like it's these massive, muscular, larger than life, taking the world on sort of, sort of characters. And it just, yeah, I think as a, as a young boy, like to see that. I think it, I think it was incredible. The other, I mean, the other thing for me is I had cousins who were uh, a couple years older uh, than me, and they were they were really big into it. So I know my my cousin Adam. That that's probably who really got me into hooked into He Man because he was a little bit older than me, you know, by like two or three years. So when when you know, when I'm four and kind of starting to get into this, he's six or seven, so he gets it a lot more. So now I'm just looking up to my older cousin too, who's super into it. I think there's something to be said still to this day in 2021, and I think a lot of people in entertainment and media don't get is every boy, I think, really is appealed to a guy who is confident and kicks ass and rescues people and doesn't take shit and gets the girl. Like, I think that's still to this day, even though people might not want to admit it, is something that appeals to pretty much almost every little boy in the country. Yeah. I mean, it's, and again, especially for, for the time period, it's, uh, Definitely a reflection of the time period, and it definitely was a factor in myself and lots of other, you know, uh, young boys in my in my age group um, that just were absolutely fell in love and fascinated by this by this cartoon. And um, to its credit, it's the first cartoon I can ever remember, with the exception of maybe Wonder Woman, where the females kind of kicked ass as well. They they uh, they didn't just stand on the sidelines. You know, and that's and that's the thing. I think I think there was some, and we we we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll watch an episode of Revelation at some point and get into some of that hubbub. But I think it's one of the things, like you know, the, the female characters in He Man and the Masters Universe were always written very strong. They weren't damsels in distress. They weren't, you know, I guess Tila used to have to get saved by He Man in the same sense that every hero, male or female, always had to get saved by by He Man. But she was the captain of the guards. Like she was a strong character. Evil Lynn could stand on her own. Like she wasn't like, you know, she was. She. I mean, to me, Evil Lynn was always like kind of like the lead lackey of uh, of of Skeletor, even above you know the other the other guys. You know, Beast Man, Triclops, Trapjaw. Um, so yeah, I think I think the the female characters in the show were always very like they weren't written as these weak, you know powerless sort of thing when you and when you think of that error there was a lot of that and uh one other thing before we watch it we discussed this in my last episode i love orco but he started a trend that lasted years in cartoons of the stupid wacky idiotic clumsy sidekick you know like that trend lasted forever. Probably still in cartoons today if I watched any. But. And we don't waste any time. I mean, we're going to get through the episode here, but we don't waste any time in establishing that dynamic either. <laughs> no, but, uh, I love the character, but man, it, it really had a big ripple effect on cartoons that lasted for quite some time. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we are going to take a break. And then myself and the Kingpin, we are going to watch the diamond ray of disappearance stay with us don't go anywhere skeletor the he-man gone the magic of orko will be mine prince adam we gotta get out of here now skeletor orko prince adam and he-man figures each soul separately help help prince adam looks like a shot for he-man 
tricks on you, bone face. <laughs> Yarg! Prince Adam and Orko with Coin Trick, new from the Masters of the Universe collection, each sold separately. Other action figures also sold separately from Mattel. Defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! All right, and we are back. We just watched He Man and the Masters of the Universe. The Diamond Ray of Disappearance. I mean, we just heard it there. We heard it when we watched it. I mean, come on, that opening credit song. You gotta love it. I mean, it sucks you in. It's not just the, the famous the famous line, but the dun 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 I mean, it, it, it pulls you right in. It's, it's iconic. Um, when you think of the show, I think that's that's probably what people, you know, one of the things people remember remember most. I mean, because, like, literally, who in the 80s wasn't yelling, you know, I have the power. I mean, there's also, like, you know, you think about this being the first episode. The opening of the show really sets the table and gives you some pretty some pretty valuable information. Like, right, it, it wasn't just like a throwaway, especially, again, we're talking about the first episode here. So if you're watching the first episode, you're getting clued in right away that not everybody knows he man's alter ego, and, and you you actually find out exactly who does know. Yeah, right off the bat, you got the secret identity, who he knows, his allies, and they talk about they identify his villain and some of his cohorts right off the bat in the in the opening credits. I think it's a smart move because it, one, it's iconic and catchy. So if you're watching the, the cartoon for the hundredth time, it's good. You like it, and if you're watching the cartoon for the first time, you're like caught up to speed instantly right away. So we open up in Snake Mountain. Skeletor and Beastman are there talking, and Skeletor holding a box, which he says is the lost diamond ray of disappearance. So we're jumping right to it in the opening seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean that's the thing. I think that's so not striking, but there's you know, when you think of the way they do cartoons and whatnot now, there's there's a lot of origin stories. There there's a lot of so when you think of like maybe the first episode of He Man, you're almost thinking like, oh, would we get like the origin story of how we got here and where this all came from? And it's not the case at all. We're jumping in headfirst. And um, Beastman starts to explain what it is, but Skeletor cuts him off and says, I know what it does, Furface. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I feel like I've heard your wife call you Furface once. <laughs> <your> wife, <laughs> so uh, he tells Beastman to activate the tractor beam. And uh, the tractor beam is this weird statue. It looks like a cross between a, a scorpion and a, and a xenomorph from the Alien movies. A line I caught, I don't know if you caught, where Skeletor says to bring back my uh, cohorts from across the universe. So is that implied some of them aren't on Eternia? I mean, I think they're all on Eternia, but if, it's sort of 
it sort of sounds like it. I mean, my guess here is that line is thrown in there to tie into the name of the series, which well, you mean, it's funny. You think of Master of the Universe. It almost feels like it should be space kind of. Yeah, maybe these guys should be from different places, but they're all just from the same planet. I got to say, I, I found Beast Voice, Beast Boy, Beast Man, his voice to be kind of annoying. He does this like sucking up thing every before he speaks the whole time. Yeah, Beast Man's voice doesn't really match, I feel like, uh, what Beast Man probably is supposed to represent. He does this, like, thing before he talks. It's really kind of annoying. <laughs> a lot of drool. A lot of drool for Beast Man. So uh, we bring in Merman, Trapjaw, Evil Lynn, and Triclops. And uh, not only do we get them, but Skeletor gives a little like, explanation of uh, what they can do. Where um, I didn't know this until watching the episode, because I don't. Maybe I never saw this particular episode, but uh, Triclops, his gamma vision can see around solid objects. <laughs> Not through. <laughs> no, around. <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, it's very impressive. I think, I think that's the cool thing, too, and knowing this is the first episode, they, they really do, they set the table right there for you. They, they, here, here, here are the bad guys. Here's what they do. You know, it's very much, I think, the closest thing you sort of get to any origin, you know, in this episode. Skeletor explains he finally has the means to crush He-Man once and for all. We're into the rivalry already. Like, right away, there's no, I mean, it's, it's clear that these guys have been fighting for, for years and years and years and years already. Yeah, there's no first meeting. They have already know each other and they hate each other. In fact, Merman comments that he's heard it before that Skeletor is going to crush He-Man. <laughs> and that's kind of a theme throughout the uh, the entirety of the series. He says this time is different because he has the diamond ray. He demonstrates it on this lizard creature where he vanishes, and he says that this exiles people in a different dimension. I found the diamond a little confusing because he says if you look upon it, but every time he uses it, a specific laser beam shoots out of it at the person. Yeah, yeah, it's clearly... Got some sort of tractor beam sort of thing going on here. It's not just if you, it's not just if you look at it, but uh, again, this, I mean, we're not, we're not, they, were, they weren't writing Shakespeare. I think it's <laughs> <laughs> this, this cartoon, I mean, watching it always brings back fond memories, but it's something that uh, when you think about fickle audiences of, of today and the way they overanalyze and over scrutinize everything, like it's, uh, I mean, these episodes are, supposed to, are campy and fun and just come watch He-Man you know, knock the crap out of that guys. So we cut to uh, everyone, all the good guys now, man at arms, Prince Adam, King Randor, Tila, and uh, Orko's next trick is going to be the, he calls it the eggs over easy. And uh, man at arms says, here we go. <laughs> Last time you tried this trick, the eggs ended up all over me. I mean, you're setting the stage here, Tarzan. <laughs> They're on a steel tray where they're balancing above cups, and Orko says that he's going to magically make it disappear, and they're going to just land perfectly in the cups. Hey, Tarzan? Yeah? I don't, I don't think they're going to land perfectly in the cups. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really have a lot of faith here. Orko seems like kind of a, kind of a buffoon. I, uh, I have some concerns. All he does for his magic spell is says, steel tray, fly away. <laughs> Like, they didn't even make up any, like, magic phrases or anything. <laughs> it's almost like Mike Crockett was the writer for, uh, for this. <laughs> he pulls it off. The, the steel tray does fly away, and the eggs land perfectly for a split second. Everybody's impressed. But the tray hits the chandelier, knocking it on the table, crashing all the eggs, you guessed it, onto Man in Arms. <laughs> Poor Duncan. Poor Duncan. <laughs> and uh, he says, the, the only trick we want to see, Orko, is you disappear. <laughs> this made me laugh because Prince Adam loved it. Oh, he is like <laughs> in hysterics over this. Uh. So uh, Tila, she notices she's hearing some laser blasts. So she looks outside and there's Trapjaw on a giant flying chair that's shooting lasers. The sky sled. The sky, sky sled. sled. <laughs> <laughs> She says she's going to take the guards and uh, pursue him with Majesty's permission, of course, which, of course, she gets. And then that gives Adam and Cringer the time to uh, sneak off. It's now, to. I mean, I mean, it's, it's the old, uh, you know, Superman sort of thing going on here, you know? Maybe I could buy that 
people can't put two and two together that Prince Adam is He-Man, but <laughs> Cringer and Battle Cat, how many giant green <laughs> how many giant green tigers are there? Yeah, it's not like there's a uh, an entire species that they've introduced here where there's like these cats just sort of roaming around <laughs> all over the place. Uh, Cringer sort of seems like a one of a kind sort of creature. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're you're poking holes in, already. <laughs> so Teal and the guards they're pursuing uh, Trapjaw. Then we get our very first Cringer and He Man doing the by the power of Grayskull, and then psh, and then he shoots him, and you know I have the power. Now I ask this every every time on these, and I got to get your opinion on this. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers they always say it's Morphin time. Green Lantern always gave his oath. If He-Man doesn't say, I have the power, does he not turn into He-Man? He just holds up the sword? That's a good question. I don't know. Like, yeah, does he, I, I would imagine he'd have to say, you have to call, you know, you have to call to the, you know, the powers that be. Yeah. Because if, if he held the sword. The power. Yeah, he's saying by the power of Grayskull. So I, I'm assuming he has to say that part at least. Maybe not I have the power, but I think he definitely has to say by the power of Grayskull. I have the power. It's just, you know, he's hyping himself up now. He's just, you know, pumping himself up. He's going to go into battle. Um, I got to say, though, the transformation is awesome of him turning into He-Man and Cringer turning into Battle Cat. It's pretty awesome visual. And also animation that they can just recycle every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it, it's a pretty common theme throughout this entire series. There are certain sequences that uh, they just reuse the same animation over and over again. They see Skeletor is uh, observing Tila and the guards chasing Trapjaw. And he says, that clumsy oaf has served his purpose. It was all just a distraction. It was so, a ruse. It was, it was a ruse. Me, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tila catches up with him. And uh, Trapjaw, he's, uh, he's trying to put his, uh, a different arm in so he can uh, uh, attack her. But he's having to, it seems to be stuck. But he does uh, bite the tip of Tila's sword off. <laughs> well, I mean, she put it in his face. He does have a metal jaw, so might as well. And even says it's delicious. <laughs> the so, uh, buffoonery he... of uh, the evil warriors is really second to none in this series. He-Man shows up and uh, Trapjaw finally has his energy bow and he's uh, shooting it at He-Man who's blocking it with his sword. And he says that uh, I guess they don't make energy bows like they used to. He's going to switch to his Lasertron, but He-Man bends the thing, and then he just throws. He literally picks up the Sky Slide with Trapjaw on it and just throws him <laughs> over the horizon. Well, he's the most powerful man in the universe. What else is he going to do? And uh, Tila says in a very swooning tone, thank you for your help, He-Man. Great. You're poking holes already into my, uh, you know, the, the conversation we had about them writing the, <laughs> writing the female character strong. <laughs> Well, I mean, she can she can still be attracted to the guy and still be a strong female. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, they come to the conclusion that uh, this might have been a distraction by Skeletor, and they need to head back. We go back, and Randor is there, King Randor, and he says he's worried about Teela taking so long. This was a great great transaction where Orko says uh, a good magician can uh, help pass the time, and uh, Man in Arm says. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you know of one. <laughs> Duncan is not feeling Orko at all. Man at Arms, not a fan of Orko. I haven't seen the cartoon in a while. It was, was this a running theme? Because on this episode, man, Duncan is just not impressed with Orko <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was. I definitely think it was. There was an annoyance uh, there for sure. So uh, Man at Arms notices that the sorceress is disguised as an eagle hanging out on the window and even whispers to Orko because they got to keep that a secret. She telepathically tells Man-at-Arms that Skeletor is in the palace. But before they can do anything, Skeletor and his hordes show up. And not only is it Skeletor, Beast-Man, and Evil Lin, um, he also has these little kind of like evil robot things with him as well, like his own little army of these robots. Yeah, they, which which uh, boy, I don't I don't even know if those are part of the toy line or not. I don't remember them ever. I suppose it's I'm not gonna say it's definitely not, but it, 
I don't remember those things ever existing. They kind of look like, have you ever seen Futurama? No. Okay, there's a, a robot like priest on that that they kind of look like a shorter condensed version of that robot. <laughs> Orko and Man-at-Arms established that the sorcerer is powerless when she's away from Grayskull, so she cannot help them. King Randor, he calls for the guards, but Skeletor makes it clear they already took care of them. Uh, Man-at-Arms pulls out like this energy sword, but Skeletor just blasts it away. I love this part because Man-at-Arms says that at this point, he's going to have to take him on with his bare hands. Oh, he is the Man-at-Arms, so. And, uh, but <laughs> before he can do that, he pulls out the Diamond of Disappearance and he makes all of them, well, not Orko, but he makes, uh, Randor, the Queen, and uh, Man-at-Arms all vanish. And I believe the Sorceress as well. Yes, the Sorceress was uh, also made to vanish in this. We switch to Orko uh, catching up with He-Man because He-Man sees all the robot knights are guarding it. He explains to He-Man what just happened. And then immediately He-Man knows that Skeletor must have found the lost diamond of disappearance. <laughs> this must be a very famous artifact in the, uh, in the lore of Eternia. Which is weird, because if you think about science fiction, fantasy, every time there's like a lost artifact, there's like a quest to get it. Not on this one. Skeletor just has it. <laughs> so We're not wasting time with details here. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like a two-part episode. <laughs> <laughs> you got 20 minutes, you know, without commercials. So He-Man tells Orko to get Tila, Ram Man, and Stratos and meet him at Castle Grayskull. And then uh, He-Man, we switch to, is outside of Castle Grayskull. You know what, another thing, and this is probably common, is I always thought that, like, that's where He-Man was as a kid, that, uh, like, King Randor and them, for some reason, I thought they were all in Castle Grayskull, but it's actually, obviously, I discovered later in life, it was, it's a mysterious castle that's not away from them that Skeletor wants to get into. Yes, it, yeah, it houses the secrets of, uh, well, I mean, if you, if you watch Revelation, you'll see exactly what, uh, that, is, that is true. What, what Castle Grayskull houses. Well, well, we'll get to that on a future episode. So, uh, he gets there and he says, by the power of Grayskull, I command the Jawbridge open, which of course it does. Inside is a big magic mirror. Not much else, by the way. Decor, <laughs> decor in Castle Grayskull. Lacking, big time. <laughs> he calls for the sorcerer. She tells him that uh, they are trapped in a timeless dimension and they can only escape if the diamond is crushed. We switch to Skeletor and his gang. They're going to try and open up Castle Grayskull. They uh, tie a rope to it and they're all doing a big tug of war trying to get the drawbridge open. <laughs> the ease in which they're able to bust into Castle Grayskull here <laughs> is, is amazing. And, and something I think as the series went along, pretty unmatched uh, going forward, how easy they were able to get in this time. Well, because in the comics, those little mini comics, you had to put the two power swords together to open it. And then later on in the series, it was like super difficult to get in here. But this one, them with a rope and uh, Skeletor uses his magic axe and they just open it right up. Yeah, that's something, you know, it's funny to, to small aside, the original concept, at least with the toys, was Skeletor had half the power sword, even had the other half of the power sword. That is not, you know, and again, it's something that comes up in Revelation. They kind of establish that. But in the actual cartoon series, there's no mention of it. It's just one power sword. It's owned by E-Man. Well, so those little comics didn't even have Prince Adam. That came with that with a cartoon as well. So, <laughs> so they, they, they do get it open. And right there is He-Man. It says, uh, next time you might want to try knocking. <laughs> so uh, him and Beastman charge each other. And with ease. He-Man just picks Beast-Man up and tosses him aside like he's a ragdoll. <laughs> just hanging like a Christmas ornament from a jagged rock. The good guys charge in. Uh, He-Man throws Merman in the mud. Evil Lynn and Tila start to fight, which is kind of cool for a few minutes because she's got her shield and Evil Lynn shooting lasers out of her eyes. But then it's abruptly wrapped up when Stratos wraps up Evil Lynn in a giant black... Trash bag. <laughs> He-Man's uh, using his sword on the robot. Panther, it looks like he's going to charge uh, Cringer. Ram Man, like Rams, literally a bunch of the little robots. By the way, what a ridiculous character Ram Man is. 
<laughs> yeah, he has uh, in- interesting powers, Ram Man, for sure. Ram Man has no dialogue also, by the way, in the entire episode. Skeletor is going to use the, uh, the diamond on He-Man. He blasts at him, so I guess it's not looking at it. It's actually the laser. The laser bounces off his sword, almost hitting Skeletor, but then he drops the box in a little crevice in the ground. And, and the setup here, by the way, the next, you know, it's a, it's a children's 20-minute cartoon from the 80s, <laughs> but the next couple minutes to me are just absurd what actually kind of occurs here. And I'll let you keep talking, but to, to me, I was like, what, wait, what? <laughs> that was it for them to just give up because the box <laughs> it falls into this crevice and that's it. Beastman says, oh, we just got to get out of here. But to distract He-Man, Skeletor creates this giant rock monster, but then He-Man destroys it in literally one punch. <laughs> and, and you've already seen that punch, that same animation from the opening credit scene. So then He-Man is actually, he's actually pulling the crevice aside so he can get to this diamond. He does grab it, and he's like, with all his might, he's trying to crush it with two hands. Now, the the bad guys, mind you, this is the ridiculous part. This is the part I'm talking about here. All the bad guys, just standing around watching. Nobody's trying to stop He-Man from getting this thing. (laughs) They're just literally hanging out, watching watching He-Man get this and try to destroy it. Yeah, Do you think he would be like... That would be a perfect time to like try and attack him or something. He's fully distracted on trying to destroy that diamond. No, no, we'll just watch. Just observe. <laughs> and uh, he's kind of vanishing. Everyone thinks he's going to vanish, but everyone like he, uh, Tila, Orca, the sorceress, are, they're encouraging him on to do it. And finally, with all his might, He-Man smashes the diamond ray of disappearance. And Man-at-Arms, King Randor, everybody comes back. And then Skeletor and his guys just, they leave Skeletor saying, I will be back. <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he will. The very next episode. That's another thing. He-Man's never that concerned when Skeletor just leaves. You think he would try and like stop him knowing, knowing that he's going to come back <laughs> and try and cause havoc again on Eternia. Uh, so then we, uh, we're in the throne room and, uh, King Randor says to Orca, he wants his next magic trick for his son, Prince Adam, to appear on time. <laughs> can, I, can we cure wine for like two seconds here, Tarzan? Go ahead. Yeah, one little thing I thought was cool, and just that small acknowledgement was the, the king and queen, uh, Marlena and Randor, thanking He-Man, and, and, and then Man-at-Arms just kind of looks at He-Man and like gives him like that little wink, that little acknowledgement to kind of you know establish that like, yeah, he knows... His parents don't realize they're thanking their son, um, but but Duncan does. I forgot all about that. Yeah, he w- he's winking at He-Man, but it almost looks like he's winking at the camera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> Tila says that Adam's on his way, and he's found the lost Zoom chariot, which I didn't even know the Zoom chariot was lost. <laughs> how, how could they not have told us in the first 17 minutes of this cartoon? <laughs> But the bad news is, apparently he's broken the directional control. If Tila knows this, why is she letting him fly the damn thing? <laughs> well, he's the prince. She can't stop him. He can do whatever he wants. And all of a sudden, he comes and he smashes right, right through the wall with the Zoom chariot. <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing is about Prince Adam is like, you know, in, in, in the way that he's, he's written, is like he's a buffoon as well. He's, just, he's kind of like a selfish, lazy sort of like buffoon. Yeah, it's like he like is, he's royalty. He knows the crown's coming to him, so he doesn't have to put any effort into anything. So it throws everybody off the trail that he's actually the most powerful man in the universe. So uh, Randor is upset. He's like, Adam, not only did you destroy the wall, you destroyed the chariot. And Orko says, well, at least he destroyed it on time. <laughs> and man, King Randor just laughs his ass off at that. He just thought that was the greatest joke he's ever heard <laughs> a common theme throughout the series is uh the good guys laughing sharing a good laugh at the end i gotta say there was a lot of laughing in general skeletor laughs almost every line Trapjaw laughed earlier when he was uh screwing around with tila adam laughed his ass off at those eggs falling on man in arms and then king randor laughs at orko's uh little zinger here about him destroying it on time Call back to the WPAN if you'll indulge me here, Tarzan. I think 
Skeletor would be a first ballot Eel Laugh Hall of Famer. <laughs> I think he he would. There's been a theme in a lot of the cartoons I've reviewed on this show that uh, the villains uh, really like to laugh. <laughs> As they should. Then we get a PSA about uh, how on this episode uh, we saw um, Skeletor trying to take a shortcut. Now, these PSAs were actually included because they had to appease parents groups. They wanted to make sure that it wasn't just mindless violence, that these uh, cartoons had a moral lesson and they were good for children. Yeah, these are mandatory because even like even like G.I. Joe had these. Like these were these were part of the deal if they wanted to get these shows on the air. And I believe they all had a, a psychologist on staff who approved these messages and helped them, uh, you know, to make sure they were the right thing. And this <laughs> thank, one, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says how uh, <clears throat> hard work will always succeed. And uh, anytime someone tells you there's a sure thing, there's usually going to be a catch. And to believe in yourself. Good, solid advice from yeah. you, man. A little generic, but uh, I, I like it. It's a good, uh, it is a good, solid message. And today's world of misery, it's, it's the kind of message we could definitely use more of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they always come across kind of corny and cheesy. But I, I think that's, you know, again, this is, you know, my favorite probably property of all time. And uh, it really the entirety of the, the series and the episodes is really campy and corny. And, you know, it fits. And there you have it. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. The Diamond Ray of Disappearance. I had watched some of this when it was on Netflix a while back because my stepson was curious because he didn't know what the hell He-Man was. So it was nice to sit down and uh, watch a full episode again. Yeah, it's you know, it's, in this episode I've seen, I've seen quite a bit. And yeah, I've, I've always thought I wanted to rip through this series because I mean, you, can, you can rip through it pretty quickly with the, how short the episodes are in chronological order. But there's there's really no need to watch this series in any sort of chronological order. I think there's a couple, maybe a couple carryover ep- episodes, but every episode is really its own standalone, you know, entity. So we're gonna jump over to the uh, the spectrometer. So anyone who doesn't know, the spectrometer is where we rank. Me and my guests rank what we just watched. Zero Spectros being absolute garbage. Four Spectros being you can't get any better than this. Brian Malonis, how many Spectros are you going to give? He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, the Diamond Ray of Disappearance. I'm going to lose all credibility here, Tart. I'm giving it four. How do you get me better than the premiere episode of, and I'm biased, completely and utterly biased. (laughs) How does it get any better than the first episode of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe? The... You know, one of the driving forces, along with professional wrestling, of of my childhood. You're going four. You're going all. You're going four. All chips to the middle of the table. Yeah, four. I'm all in. All right. Well, um, I'm going to do a mix of uh, of quality and nostalgia. Uh, I'm not going to go as high as four. Uh, four's perfection. I wouldn't quite say it was perfect. I'm going to give it three, though. I think it's uh, very enjoyable. I like the animation. I think it, especially in the time period, even though there are some repeat shots, stands out pretty good. And uh, I was genuinely entertained. And I, uh, I like uh, most of the, other than Beast Man, I really like the voice acting on this as well. Yeah, they, I mean, they throw in there's a bunch of one-liners. I think this is, you know, and, and you have kids now, Tarzan. I think as you're with your children, you always try to find things that will kind of amuse you too. And I think this mix does mix in things where like an adult could watch this case in point two grown men right here. And it, there, there are lines that'll pop you. There are lines that'll make you laugh, <laughs> like legitimately laugh like out loud because they're just, you know, a lot of one liners in it. So on that note, every week we also cover if a child in 2021 came around, he man and the masters of the universe. What do you think? Do they enjoy it? We're talking specifically, because I can give you first-hand account, Tarzan. For this cartoon specific? It's a tough watch. You know, I've tried to get my son to watch it, and I think just the animation is difficult for kids in 2021 to really to really get with. Now, us, we have the nostalgia feelings about it, but uh, for a kid, you know, my son is five, almost six, and it's, uh, 
I can't get him to, you know, to sit down and really and really watch it. And he loses interest pretty quickly in it. And I think it's I feel like it's probably to do with the the animation style. When my stepson was a little younger, I think he was like twelve, he and I watched a few episodes. He enjoyed it, but I think he enjoyed it more in a ironic way. I don't I don't think he thought it was good. I thought he was more probably amused by it because it was I think he thought it was probably cheesy. It's completely cheesy. It's 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 meant to be. It's meant to be campy and sort of, you know, a lot of a lot of one liners that we talked about. It's not meant to be, you know. I don't know how much fact checking they were doing. You know, I mean, again, the name of the episode is the Diamond Ray of Disappearance, and halfway through the episode, they just call it the Diamond of Disappearance. <laughs> I don't know how much scrubbing they were doing of the script and whatnot. So yeah, it's hard to say. I don't. I don't know if. Uh... Because we just named two examples, and neither one were really blown away by it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's a tough watch for young kids today, and, and largely just because of. Um, I mean, the other thing that's 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 I think kids are, are more used to today is there's there's running themes or running stories like episodes carry over one episode carries over to the next now. Where I think the cartoons of our youth, many of them are, are like He Man, and it's just each episode is its own standalone entity there's no like the characters are the same and the, and the story carries over in that you know it's it's skeletor on his next scheme but it really was a lot of it's probably plays into again that gen, that generation that that we were in of the rep you know kids get attached to rep, uh, repetition and every episode felt very familiar skeletor hatched a scheme he fell flat on his face. He man saved the day, and then we watch it again tomorrow. We watch literally the same, the same exact story play out the very next day, and we loved it. I can't think of too many cartoons now that are really similar to He Man or the format of He Man. Maybe some of the anime cartoons, but I'm not seeing a lot of action, strictly action cartoons, other than some superhero cartoons. That's the other thing that's tough too. I think is for a kid today is, is the act. It's funny you mentioned the action. There's a lack of like, you know, you think of these characters battling, they kind of do, but there's a lot of limitations and restrictions on how these characters can fight and interact. Well, there you have it, folks. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, the Diamond Ray of Disappearance. Uh, What did you all think? Did you like it as much as me and Brian? Did you like it less? If you liked it less, great. We, uh... (laughs) We can't take that away from you. We're uh, just two guys talking about a, a cartoon from 1983. If you want to give me input, I always like to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Spectro. You can go to my Facebook page, Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Give me your two cents. Brian, this is just the beginning, though. Uh, every time you return, we're going to be doing a different Masters in the Universe cartoon. Next, we're going to, I don't know when we're going to bring you back, but we're going to be going to 1989. What is it? The new adventures of He-Man? Oh, the new adventures of He-Man. Yes, it's. Uh, oh, well, you know, we'll save the material for that for that episode. But uh, as a child, I, t- I literally turned on the property at like you know eight nine years old. Here, I. It's not good. It's not good. It's it to me. It's it's almost like the start of um, what they do so much. I think today, and when we get into the the new He-Man and the Masters of the Universe not revelation, but the other series, it, you know, to me, it's, uh, they try to take these familiar popular things of the past and they, they reshape them and essentially into a, into a new IP, but they want to use the familiarity and popularity of the original property to give it instant credibility when it, it just doesn't feel it, it's a complete reimagining and almost a, a new adventures of He-Man really gets into like it really being an entire, the character names are the same, but it's, I'd argue it's not He-Man. Look forward to that episode. I look forward to coming back. I want to thank you for joining us. And normally I'd say, I hope you come back, but we already know you're coming back for our, our follow-up. Probably be in 2022, but you'll be back to talk. I got a lot of free time on my hands coming up, Tarzan. <laughs> uh, so on that note, is there uh, anything you want to plug while you're here? Yeah, I mean, hey, follow me on social media, Brian Malonis on Twitter, Brian Malonis KP on Instagram. Buy a t-shirt if, you, if you're so inclined and follow my professional wrestling career, brianmalonis.com. And maybe someday I'll convince Michael Crockett to bring back the WPAN, but probably not. At least a follow-up episode or something. I mean, he'll love it now. Now I can, uh, you know, we, we still got to get, you know, now I can 
now that I'm not a contracted employee, or well, I guess I'm never a contracted employee, but a, a contracted pro wrestler to a large company, now I can bury everybody. So crack it. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, if you could also uh, subscribe to my podcast, uh, smash that subscribe button, give me a like on my Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I'd really appreciate it if you have any input. Guests you'd like to hear, episodes you'd like to hear. If there's a specific episode of He-Man, the new adventures of He-Man you want Brian and I to review, drop that suggestion in the box. Anybody who uh, hosts a uh, comic or nerd podcast would like to be one of my special guests because I have a guest every week, please hit me up. I'd like to hear from you as well. Brian, uh, before we wrap this up, do you have any final thoughts on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe? To me, this is the, you know, for, for, for guys my age and Guys, your age, I mean, this was it. This was the it thing in our lifetime. And here we are close to 40 years later and people still talk about this and they're still trying to recapture the magic that was He-Man. So I think it just shows the magnitude of this television show, of this toy line, that here we are, you know, close to 40 years later and we're we're still talking about it. All right. And on that note, I want to thank everyone for joining us and tune in again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior!